Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 556 on Tuesday, the 12th of December, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan, and yes, it's just me this week. It's another solo one with lots of ums and ers and pauses all the way through because I'm not I'm a far lazier editor uh, than Andrew normally is. Uh, anyhow, this week uh, we'll be talking about... Uh, we, I, will be talking about November's new car registration figures. Uh, we're talking about battery swapping yet again. One of these technologies that goes quiet for ages and then there's a sort of tsunami of stuff comes and hits. Uh, and there'll also be a refreshing lack of adverts for vibrating molecule-enhanced snow-clearing air fresheners. I don't know if you've been getting those about every third, whatever it's called, zeet, uh, these days. But I know that I certainly have been. Anyway, start with a couple of stories of follow-up. First one is really a sort of time-constrained one. Uh, We've been talking about rules of origin uh, and the the tariffs. This is an outcome from Brexit. Um, And there's been a big worry about the fact that um, as of the 1st of January next year, um, 45% of the value of an electric vehicle and 60% of the battery pack uh, has to have uh, originated uh, in either the UK or the EU. This is still not quite possible uh, just yet. Uh, the European Commission has proposed a three-year delay uh, to those laws, as I think I've just said, uh, on certain UK exported and imported vehicles. So it, it works both ways. Um, and the idea of this means that it would it would the introduction of those rules of origin will be pushed back from the 1st January 2024 to the 1st of January 2027. Uh, it does need to be voted on by all 27 EU member states, um, but supposedly, and according to the Financial Times, uh, according to the Financial Times, according to the Autocar article, it'll be linked in the show notes, uh, they're ex- they, the majority are already in favour and they're expected to be asked to vote next week. Uh, I, I think this is one of the, these cases where, where it, it should go through. Um, but, you know, the, the biggest danger is the UK government does something which annoys somebody uh, and then uh, and then that hurts it. Of course, this would hurt in, in both directions, but the majority of way coming from the EU to, EU to the UK, given the, uh, his, given the EU has historically been our largest trading partner. So lots of stuff there. Uh, by the way, just as another another um, another aside, the European Auto Manuf- Automobile Manufacturers Association, that's ACEA that we talked about last week, uh, has called on U- EU member states to unanimously support the proposal. So it's not just the the straight up politicians um, who are, are calling for this. It is it is the whole industry. Um, so that would be a good thing. We'll keep an eye on that. Now, that has to be voted on by the end of the week, I think it was. Oh, yes, they're expected to be asked to vote next week. I knew I'd seen it somewhere. Um, so, so yes, that's hopefully good news. I mean, oh, don't want to get political, but crisis of our own making as ever. Uh, and uh, fingers crossed that passes through. Obviously, we'll uh, we'll be on top of that one and let you know. The other piece of follow-up uh, relates to import and export uh, once again. Uh, Tesla has lost a, its legal action in uh, against uh, Sweden's postal service 
uh, as a dispute with Nordic trade unions escalates. Uh, this is according to the Guardian. The story's on a number of different in a number of different places. Um, uh, the essential out. So you're aware that this started because Tesla didn't want uh, Tesla wanted to sort of. No, it started with the mechanics, didn't it? The mechanics at the service centres, and then that spread to the ports, and then it spread to cleaners and uh, and also to the Swedish postal system, Postnord, uh, that is refusing to deliver uh, to Tesla. The big knock-on effect for that is that the only way to receive a license plate uh, from the Swedish vehicle licensing organization, uh, name of which escapes me, uh, is by post. And, um, and Swedish Postal Union are refusing to deliver to Tesla uh, dealerships or to the corporate offices or anything uh, to do to do with Tesla, so as a result, you cannot register a Tesla uh, in 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 Sweden right at the moment. Also, a large Danish pension fund uh, said on Wednesday because uh, said on Wednesday that it would sell all its holdings in Tesla uh, because they refused to enter into the deals. Uh, on and on and on. So we're at dock, dock workers, drivers, electricians, cleaners, etc., etc., etc. Elon Musk, uh, richest on-paper man in the world, said last week, I disagree with the idea of unions. I just don't like anything which creates a lords and peasants kind of thing. There we go. So, yes, um, some Swedish pension funds, by the way, have urged Tesla to sign the agreement with the union, but have so far held off selling their shares. Well, they'll break down uh, on that one at at some point. Um so yes, uh, again, keep an eye on that one. Uh, see what see see what happens. Anyway, uh, let's move on from that. Oh, uh, other thing was the Cybertruck seems to have disappeared from the showroom in Central Boston. Um, so maybe they're doing a it's doing a tour and it's moved to some more minor ones now. But it, it does seem to have have disappeared into the ether again. Um, yeah, read into that what you will. Anyway, uh, new news. Uh, the new news actually came out just before I recorded last week's uh, podcast. And I just didn't have time to look at it, read it, or think about it. Um, and it is the SMMT new car registration figures. Uh, so registrations in in November were one hundred and fifty six thousand five hundred and twenty five. Which sounds like quite a high number until you realise that that is, uh, and it is, it's up 9.5% uh, on last November and just 0.1% down on pre-pandemic uh, levels. There has been a decline in EV uptake uh, compared to the equivalent month last year where it was particularly high, um, but year-to-date uh, uptake is up overall 27 and a half percent there are some comments here about uh, rules of origin needed to avoid eu tariffs that other story that was in follow-up actually broke b- before this one uh all in all uh comparing uh uh comparing uh y- month to month um petrol is up 7.4 percent Diesel is down 16%. Only 4,663 diesel uh, cars uh, registered. Now, remember, that is just pure diesel and not, uh, and not, um, 
and not uh, diesel mild hybrids or, or even should you be able to think of any uh, a, a diesel hybrid. Um, mild hybrids, 29,000. Uh, high, uh, pure grown-up hybrids, uh, 20,525. Battery electric vehicles, 24,359. Uh, and um, FEVs, plug-in hybrids, 15,871. Uh, some chunky changes in the sort of private fleet balance. Um, business down to 32.7%, only... Uh, only 2,970 vehicles were registered to, 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 to small businesses. Uh, fleet companies uh, up 25% and private down 5.9%. Uh, so uh, compared to November uh, 2022. So, yeah, uh, everything's being held up by fleet. Now, fleet does include uh, lots of company cars, lots of people on the sort of salary sacrifice type schemes as well. But... Um, but you know the the number of private sales is is, is dropping. Uh, it's only thirty eight point seven percent of the market share, uh, almost sixty percent for fleet, and two percent for business. Uh, best sellers, uh, not a single electric only model amongst them. Uh, Audi A three, and of course the numbers here are all very, very small, very close together because of just the segmentation of the market. Number of new models that are out there. Uh, number ten is the Audi A three, though, uh, two thousand seven hundred and twenty six, um, selling seven seven fewer than number nine, which is the Volkswagen Golf. Uh, MG HS is at eight. Uh, Vauxhall Mocker is at seven. Kia Sportage at six with uh, 3,045, so less, so uh, just over 300 uh, vehicles splitting that second half of the table. Uh, Ford Cougar is in at number five. The Mini is in at number four with uh, 3,526 registrations. Uh, and then there's a small gap before the Nissan Qashqai at 4,116, and then the Vauxhall Corsa and the Ford Puma uh, out ahead by 113 uh, units at 4,298. Puma remains at the at the top uh, top of the leaderboard for the year, um, uh, ahead of Qashqai, Qashqai Corsa, Sportage, Tucson, Model Y, Mini, Duke, Mocha, and Audi A3. As a quick aside, I saw the new saw one of the new Minis, uh, the latest generation of Mini, uh, just the other day um uh on the road and it looked it looked pretty good it was an electric one and it had a sort of small motor sound as it as its broadcast of movement uh, uh noise which was which was kind of cool it did almost sound like it was like it was internal combustion uh yeah most of the text uh surrounding this is uh most of the text surrounding the numbers uh, this week uh, this month, pardon me, are all about, it's all about rules of origin. Uh, and we've kind of covered that. Uh, Andrew has prepared for me the spreadsheet of doom. Lucky me. There's a bit of red, quite a lot of green and some white. Uh, those are, our thresholds are 15% either way, uh, either way, uh, before we will read something out. So, the reds, uh, a Bath, Alpine, Bentley, Dacia DS, Fiat, 
and Genesis out of those, I mean, the small manufacturers are, are down, or small sales down about 40 to 50%. Uh, in those, DS down 75%, which is 106 vehicles. Uh, Fiat down 20%. Um, Nissan down 22, Polestar down 53, and Tesla uh, down 72. And that could have an awful lot to do with that sort of disparity in EV uh, uh, EV registrations. You know, the Tesla, the peaks and troughs of um, the peaks and troughs uh, of of Tesla imports. Uh, so last year it was 6,025 uh, Tesla were registered in November. This year, 1,648. Uh, it is one of those things to bear in mind uh, is the, the sort of Tesla surging. Significant drop, though. I mean, significant drop. But let's just see what happens um, What happens next month if it is, if it is a, massive, uh, a massive peak instead. Uh, all the greens, uh, Alfa Romeo doing pretty well, up 108%, BMW up 16 Citroen up 30 Cupra up 75%. Uh, the MG award for crazy increases goes to GWM Aura, uh, 94 vehicles instead of five. That's an increase of 1,780%, but kind of meaningless. Uh, Jaguar up over 100%, yay. Uh, Jeep uh, up 140 percent, Land Rover up 35, Maserati 132, Mercedes Benz 48, MG 34, uh, Peugeot up 144 uh, percent, Renault 83 percent, Seat 20, Skoda 24, Smart 153. Uh, are the number ones reaching coming on stream in the UK now? That may well explain that. I would, I would think it probably does. Uh, Sangyong 43, Suzuki 56, Vauxhall 39, Volvo 15, other British 53, and other imports 24%. So kind of nothing, a few outliers there among some of the big, um, some of the larger European brands, European commodity brands there, the use of Peugeots, Renaults, uh, and such like, but mostly not huge changes. Uh, big drop, of course, being Tesla. Um, but that well may well be of their own making. Uh, as a result of some of the challenges with both EV and private buyers, um, then industry bosses are causing for EV incentives to aid private buyers. Not a massive surprise uh, in that, um, given that the, the, basically it's as long as we can get somebody else's money to do it, that's great. Um as it is already, uh, as it notes in the Autocar article um, and that, that Mike Hawes, uh, chief executive of the SMMT, has, uh, has, has noted, uh, the bulk of EV sales are still to business buyers. I mean, we see that with the fleet numbers every month, uh, and they do benefit from tax breaks uh, for that. It's one of the reasons why more people are doing that kind of thing for salary sacrifice, perhaps, than buying privately. Um However, if you are a private EV buyer, you get no subsidy at all. So um, that way will have an awful lot to do with it. So perhaps uh, they're suggesting that maybe the, the government brings back uh, incentives for that. 
a counter argument of course is that this is uh, bringing back this is these are incentives for people to go out and buy expensive new cars and you only get the taxpayer money um if you already have the money to go to be in a position to want to buy one of these um so so yeah i mean that's 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 the counter argument that you will hear so uh let's see what happens with that i'm not expecting a massive movement on on that one not given some of the other uh the other sort of shifts in environmental and business type type things they're probably going to say that they've they've given up enough by paying millions and millions to nissan uh, over the years to build battery plants and ev factories Uh, at one end uh similarly um similarly the 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 support to to jlr uh for the battery fa- for the planned battery factory and to bmw etc 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 um that they that there's um that they may decide that they've thrown enough money at, at that problem and that sure the businesses can benefit but uh but but us private buyers uh not so much Next story um, is about UK fuel prices. There have been significant drops in November, uh, according to the RAC. And you'll notice they put these reports out uh, pretty much uh, every month. So average petrol prices in the UK dropped by 7.5 pence per litre, uh, down to uh, £1.46, almost £1.47 um, per litre. Diesel fell 7 pence to uh, 154.4. Um, per litre, but that's still much higher than they should be. So they're saying that prices for petrol are still about 10 pence per litre higher than they they, they should be compared with 5 pence per litre for diesel. Uh, And this is all to do with the disparity and the the increases and decreases in wholesale price that the retailers are paying. So wholesale price goes up and down. Uh, retail price pretty much only goes up. Um, the any reduction uh, in wholesale prices is, is very rarely reflected uh, in the pump price uh, for us uh, for us consumers. Um, yeah. So 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 yeah. There's there's it's one of those. What can you do about it other, other than support uh, campaigns like this one uh, from the RAC? Really. Um, it is it is difficult. Um, it is difficult because it's you know there's, there's not a lot of competition. Uh, so so yeah yeah I don't really know how to round that one off to be perfectly frank. Uh, so I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to move uh, move on uh, slightly. Euro NCAP win this week's award for statements of the bleeding obvious uh they're saying that bigger heavier suvs present safety concerns uh according to this uh, article from autocar it'll be linked in the show notes the euro ncap uh, starts off basically by by saying that it's not their rules that are to blame for the popularity of suvs which it says are bad for safety and the environment They've rated 11 new cars in its final round of testing for 2023, seven of which were SUVs. Uh, that included the Mercedes-Benz EQE, the Kia EV9, the Vinfast VF8. That'll be an interesting one. Uh, uh, the Xpeng G9, the BYD Tang, the BYD Seal U, um, which sounds painful, and the Honda ZRV. Also tested the new 5 Series, the Volkswagen ID7, the Smart H3, 
and a Hyundai Kona Electric. Uh, points out that the latter of those two are crossovers. Uh, for those of us following along at home, we'll have noticed that the BMW 5 Series is the only one identifiable as a traditional saloon car. Uh, majority SUVs tested were awarded five stars, but Euro NCAP suggests a trend towards heavier, more powerful and taller cars risks the safety of other drivers and says they're more damaging to the environment than smaller, lighter cars. Okay. Yes. I mean, I mean, yes. Yes, of course. But also, they're the ones that have just got five stars. The people are going to say, I want my family to be safe. Uh, and um, you wanting your family to be safe tends to tends to 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 be more important than other families to be safe so you know we're always going to have that that uh that uh that bias towards buying safer for us um and other people can go out and buy safer for them uh, and then they'll be just as safe theoretically what else uh how were the results here um eqe scored the highest for its safety assistance was let down by its airbag system kia ev9 got five stars due to its coverage of five child safety equipment uh smart hash three um did well uh both passengers in the front seat made contact during a crash and the car wasn't equipped with child presence detection uh, so that was noted against it um the new hyundai kona electric which Euro NCAP said was a real disappointment and lucky to avoid three stars. Its crash avoidance and driver assistance systems were lacking, didn't represent enough of an improvement over the previous Kona. So does that mean that it's actually less safe? Or does that mean that uh, some software didn't work the way that Euro NCAP expected it to work? Uh, Honda ZRV also uh, got four stars, despite being the lightest in the test. I'm not sure how the lightness and that works, because, I mean, the, the Rover 100 was an awfully light car. Um, but but yes, I think we all remember the Euro NCAT results for that. Uh, the BYD Tang, the BYD CLU, and the Zipeng G9 all got uh, five stars. G9 lacking only pedestrian head protection and abdominal protection for smaller occupants. Uh, and the VinFast VF8 achieved four stars, being marked down for the lack of robustness in its seatbelts, which is the most complimentary thing I think I've ever heard anyone say about the VinFast VF8, or indeed any other VinFast. Um, of the electric executive students on test, the Volkswagen ID7, apologies, I missed that earlier on. That, of course, is a saloon car, uh, albeit electric, and BMW 5 Series both comfortably scored five stars. With the ID7 receiving 95% for adult protection, one of the year's best overall, sc- overall scores, and the BMW matched the ID7 uh, all around. Uh, didn't score quite as highly for pedestrian protection in frontal impacts. It's probably the great big grill. Enough of that. Uh, next one, a slight sidestep. Uh, it is more Tesla news, I'm, I'm afraid. Um, the German rental company Sixt uh, is going to be. It's going to start getting rid of its Tesla fleet uh, simply due to the repair costs. Uh, repair costs and residual values. You've got to realize that these bit large fleet um, companies like. Uh, like Hertz, Sixth, etc. They, when they buy a car, they're not just looking at the the new price. Well, sometimes they are just looking at the new price. I think it depends which segment they're in. Uh, sometimes they're looking at the new price. That's how you end up with um, uh, DPS and, and and stuff and across uh, across continental Europe. Uh, other, th- but generally they're looking at whole life cost of the vehicle. If it, the upfront cost is low enough, then it doesn't really matter if it's if it's worth nothing. 
uh, after eight, nine, ten months a year. Um, but sometimes when it's a more expensive vehicle, the whole cost of ownership does come into it. And one of the challenges that Sixt is having are repair costs uh, for their Teslas and also the fact that the residual values are all over the place. Um, every time uh, every time Tesla decides to, to drop the prices then uh, of new Teslas, then by significant amounts and without any uh, without any warning then the price then the residual prices of existing ones tanks uh it goes to, they all go down even further and, and that's just become a bit too much for the uh that's just become too much for uh for sixth um sixth is by the way continuing this is nothing to do with actually having its electric fleet uh it is uh it's going to be replacing them with with uh, BYD uh, and others, uh, but it has a commitment to buy at least 100,000 BYD cars uh, globally. Uh, that's out of the quarter of a million cars they have uh, in, in over 100 companies uh, around the world, according to this, this Jalopnik factory. Uh, Hertz is taking a step back from EVs uh, entirely. Um, by the end of the decade but again it's it's having it's having trouble with the uh basically the repair costs um but but yeah hertz is is taking a general a general step back on the other hand if you are looking for a cheap used tesla for reasons then um yeah keep an eye out for for the uh for the sixth auctions uh, and vehicles coming through the auctions uh, off rental. Um, that might well be a good way to get one. Speaking of government subsidies earlier on, um, there uh, there is a 700... The government has announced a £70 million scheme to stimulate the installation of ultra-rapid EV chargers at motorway service stations, uh, but it's still going to miss its target of having six devices at each site in England by the end of the year. Uh, in fairness, so pardon me. So this was as part of the Department for Transport's vision for the rapid charging network in England that was published in May 2020. Uh, they planned for there to be at least six high-powered capable open access, that's 150 to 350 kilowatt charge points at each service station in England by 2023. The ones that are missing it, are missing them at the moment, uh, are Barton Park on the A1M, Carlisle North on the M6, Leicester Forest on both sides of the M1, uh, Strentham Southbound on the M5, and T-Bay South on the M6. Now, some of them don't have ultra-rapids as well. Uh, that's Carlisle Southwaite North, Carlisle Southwaite South, Strentham Northbound, and T-Bay North. They do all have 50-kilowatt uh, chargers. Uh, though so you you can still charge um it's a tough one uh that i mean other than leicester forest which is in the middle of leicester uh all the others are pretty remote and you can imagine that the big issue there uh isn't will it is uh it is the ability to actually connect to the grid at, at high enough uh high enough volumes um so yeah that's an interesting uh, an interesting one uh, to have. Um, but, you know, actually, given the number of motorway services, whilst they haven't reached the target, they're pretty close. They're definitely in the amber. Uh, 
uh, on that one, which is is pretty decent. Uh, there is a quote in the Autocar article that says, the public charging industry has repeatedly said the limited availability of grid connections is a major obstacle to improving charge point provision. Uh, Toddington Harper, the CEO of GridSurf, said almost every issue of speed of implementation is down to the speed of grid connections. I'm not kicking the grid here. It was designed for a completely different purpose and adapting it to what we need while keeping the lights on is a huge task. But we can often be delayed by months or more waiting for a connection. The process you have to go through is hard at best and infuriating at, at worst. So, uh, And I think that given, given you know, the T-based services you've ever been uh, on either side of the M6, uh, you'll understand just why getting a, getting a, a very large, essentially electricity pipe uh, to it is is tricky. Uh, meanwhile, uh, BP Pulse is expanding its UK charging network, according to Electrive. Uh, not so much in mainland UK, but it does plan to install 200 charging stations in Northern Ireland with the Henderson Group, which is a re- retail company, uh, as well as opening a charging hub in London. Uh, they sent that 17 charging locations are ready live at BP spa sites across Northern Ireland and four at uh, four more at Henderson retail spa sites. Um, they've also opened a... Uh, a major charging hub in central London. Um, it's in Kew Park, Pimlico, uh, and it has eight charging columns with 150 kilowatt fast chargers and 16 vehicles can simultaneously charge there, uh, which is which is quite um, which is quite impressive. Two of those charge points will be dedicated for Uber drivers. Uh, as part of a link-up uh, between them. One last bit of EV charging news, because goodness me, it has been the EV charging podcast this week. Charging companies are still looking for profit on some of them. It seems that if you're not, if you're not one of the motorway-related charging firms, uh, then it can be a bit trickier to to get medium and long-term term um, profitability. Um, uh, Andy Palmer. Uh, who now leads Podpoint, is saying it's very hard to make money in the business of providing plugs. Uh, Podpoint, majority owned by EDF Energy, uh, and it's decided to move away from fast chargers uh, to concentrate on home and workplace charging in instead. Uh, and as a result, it's looking to um, it's looking to 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 have sort of positive cash flow. Uh, by 2027, oh, sorry, positive free cash flow uh, by 2027. So it's it's a bit less of a um uh, a bit less of a, a a volatile market. I think the the home charging uh, home charging uh, market. That brings us to the uh, to guilt minute. Of course, uh, Guilt Minute is the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on, the hosting running. And if you feel the motoring podcast worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. 
you've done all that and some of you do so thank you very much then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues and thank you very much for all of those of you who do some or all of that it really is um, appreciated uh, next up new new car news uh, just a couple in here this week it's it's a quiet time of the year for new car launches um but we kick off with the new Suzuki Swift. Um, it gains design updates, uh, according to Autocar, and updated infotainment. The design updates, um, I, I don't think they're successful. I think a few of us will argue that they're successful. It looks, the poor thing looks bloated and fat. It really needs a, a water pill or something. Um, it, it's just a bit bubbly uh, now. It's not the sort of sharp, rounded, Sharp rounded, yes, that does make sense. An Audi TT could be described as sharp and rounded at the same time. Um, uh, look that, that they used to be, it is a bit more amorphously plasticine, uh, than perhaps it, it, it was before. Um, it's got a new front grille, L shaped front lights, updated front wings, and new lights at the rear. Uh, it'll be offered with a 1.2 liter three cylinder mild hybrid. Um, previous generation car offered 82 horsepower, so I would expect something similar. Uh, you will be able to get it with all grip, uh, auto four wheel drive, um, uh, as an option, but no mention of the Suzuki Swift Sport, uh, uh, sadly, hopefully that will follow along, but I don't know the way some of the rules are these days that may not, uh, quite be the same. Um, Analog in instruments, small digital screen uh, in the driver's display. Um, there are buttons instead for the climate control instead of rotary knobs. Um, nobody's completely settled on the, the... The UK market spec is not completely known. It'll be revealed earlier uh, next year. Um, and Suzuki are saying that it's been developed by keeping the concept of drive and feel, uh, which does sound like something you could be arrested for. Um, there's many other statements of strange words uh, and combinations, uh, but I think what really matters uh, is that the five-speed manual gearbox that's current and an automatic, uh, uh, well, I'll definitely have a five-speed manual gearbox, uh, it's likely uh, that an automatic uh, option will be available given, you know, the normal age of uh, Suzuki Swift drivers. Um, prices are expected to start uh, at above £17,000, uh, given that that's roughly uh, what it costs, uh, what they cost currently at the bottom end of the, the Swift range. Um, points out here in 2017, when the previous generation Swift was launched, it started at about £11,000. So that's a significant uh, jump. Uh, be more details uh, close to market launch, which is expected in early 2024. At the other end of the motoring market, Morgan uh, has revealed the XP1 three wheeler EV. Now, previously, uh, Morgan has. Did, uh, showed off a an EV three-wheeler concept car based on the previous generation. Um, and then at the time, it just wasn't quite... The world wasn't quite ready for it, so they sort of they sort of shelved it, and it looks like this is uh, what's... This is, this is the, the latest incarnation. 
Uh, there's no confirmed on sale date. I'll just say that right now. Um, it is a it is a, a prototype, but it is a real thing. Um, it's been being driven around the place for about three months. Um, it weighs less than 700 kilos, even in EV EV format. That's only about 60 kilos more than the the internal combustion engine. And still, despite all of that, it carries a 33 kilowatt. Uh, kilowatt hour battery um, which is so that's about the same size as the mini electrics one that should give a fairly chunky range uh, given how light it is uh, i suppose it depends how um, how heavy your right foot is uh, how far that'll go but i'll bet i'll bet that they um that when this current generation of morgan three-wheeler was was designed then there was always space left in there uh it's got a uh, hundred kilowatt uh uh, kilowatt motor from Inetic, a UK company in the transmission tunnel. Um, there's other bits and pieces from from around the place, um, but yes, they're saying they're they're trying to make it engaging. There aren't any gears, so we've tried to make it drive in such a way that it tunes your brains to do other things as you're driving along, uh, so that it it makes sure it has it has character. It's very cool. I love the I love the look of it. Um, uh, as always, I love the look of the Morgan three wheeler, really. Um, and yeah, they've, they've even, believe it or not, they have managed to um, to drop the drag coefficient. Obviously, one of the more important uh, aspects of the Morgan three wheeler is, is the drag coefficient. Um, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's very, very cool. Uh, so I'm sure it'll be hitting. They're sure. I'm sure that it will be uh, it will be available uh, in production before very long. I think they're just tweaking and refining right at the moment. Last week, I talked about uh, Neo and Geely teaming up for to. Uh, last week, I talked about uh, Neo and Geely teaming up on uh, battery swap technology. And knowledge sharing around that and forming a strategic partnership. Well, uh, this week it's Stellantis who have announced that they're going to introduce battery swap stations from 2024. Uh, so it says the car making giant partners with battery manufacturer to develop subscription only sites. So they're going to launch a network of battery swap stations that can f- that can fit a can swap the batteries in an EV in inverted commas less than five minutes. Um, the technology comes from a San Francisco-based company called Ample, uh, who are backed by Stellantis. Uh, the idea is that uh, it'll be rolled out as a subscription. It'll be available in Madrid uh, in Madrid next year, um, and more sites will follow, along its, although it's not committing to locations and timelines just yet. To start with, it will be available only for the Fiat 500e, uh, and but they are expecting to expand it to uh, incorporate and include Citroen, Peugeot, Jeep, and Maserati. Uh, yeah. Whereas Neo has has designed a lot of their vehicle uh, around the battery swap technology. Um, it says here in this Autocar article that for Stellantis's tech, the swappable modular batteries have been designed as drop-in replacements for existing packs used by any electric car. 
Uh, and the idea is that it allows Stellantis to integrate its batteries without re-engineering platforms, saving cash. Um, so I'm not quite sure if the, you know if if the drop if that new slide-in battery will have the same value uh, as your standard 500e uh, battery, or whether or not you'll you'll sort of the flip side of the convenience of the five-minute swap will be that you have to you have to have a much smaller uh, much smaller battery instead especially if it's going to be a, a system that can accommodate you know Citroen Peugeot Jeep and Maserati uh, all in the same uh, all in the same sort of units uh, and and um Swap stations, uh, essentially. Uh, supposedly, according to Solantis, by the way, swap stations can be constructed and fully operational in as little as three days. But given the stories we've just talked about a little while ago, I'm sure that depends entirely on how quickly they can connect up to the, the grid. Uh, we'll leave you with a quote from Ample CEO Khaled Hasuna. Uh, and he said the combination of offering compelling electric vehicles that can also receive a full charge in less than five minutes will help remove the remaining impediments to electric vehicle adoption. It's, yeah, go for it. Um, I, I don't think it's quite that simple. Uh, I think there's hearts and minds uh, at play more than technology even now. Uh, and I'll be interested to see uh, just how just how the same battery works in many vehicles which weren't primarily designed for battery swapping uh let's flick over now to points of interest um i like off-roaders and off-roading um i love the idea of overlanding uh, and the mega yacht builder oxen his has had its own go at building an overlanding uh, vehicle it makes a lot of sense if you're moving sort of down market from from luxury yachts um so this is kind of cool um the arxon 85 their flagship uh, their flagship hybrid electric partially solar powered recycled aluminium hold mega yacht will set you back 11 million dollars uh, before any options uh so their their budget price offering that will use the 30% that can use the 30% of the earth uh, not covered by water um, is the Arxon U1700. It is based on a on a Mercedes-Benz Unimog uh, at, with a what's closer to a house than a caravan uh, parked on the back. Uh, this article from Jalopnik is is well worth a is is well worth a look and a read. Um, I have looked at smaller apartments than than that. It is very very nice. There's no precise prices here. Uh, it says it says the Jalopnik article says the company doesn't list a price for this massive house on wheels, but you can bet it won't be cheap. A standard single cab Unimog will run just shy of a quarter million all on its own, and I'd be surprised if you could purchase one of these for less than seven figures. Um, depending on your financial situation, you can theoretically get a home loan for an RV. Ooh. Uh, so you can have 20, 30 years of payments to make that million plus a little more palatable. Uh, you only live once, you know. Uh, yeah, you're unlikely to have YOLO on one side of this and one life live it plastered across the top of the windscreen, aren't you? But do go have a look at the uh, have a look at the Jalopnik article by Bradley Brownell. Um, it is it is rather cool and and it's it's rather lovely in there. That is quite nice. List of the week this week. 
top 10 used cars everyone should own once uh uh it's a it's this is a this is a cracking list it is only a short one um um but it is it is definitely not one of these ai generated ones um I or my family have you have owned or my immediate family have owned a remarkable number of these and I, I've driven most of them. But obviously uh, my choice is going to be number 10, which is a proper old school Mercedes Benz saloon uh, illustrated beautifully by a W124 uh, on uh, aero disc uh, wheel trims, uh, as all of the best are. Um, so that's that's where... And that's where I would be going. That's one of the places I'd be going on this list. But it's a very, very, uh, a list of very desirable vehicles. Um, right the way through. Which, which, yeah, I know which ones I would still like to have. Um, yeah, there's a couple there that are still on my, on my list of, on my list of two owns at some point. And finally this week, uh, is an article by Andrew Frankel for Goodwood Road and Racing. This was not the article I went to Goodwood Road and Racing to look for, but it's the one I found, and it's the one I thought, oh, I totally get on board with that. Uh, and it's Andrew Frankel talking about his uh, his his Japanese import Kubota L22 tractor. Um, I'm an absolute sucker for these little uh, these little Kubota tractors. Um, we had one, we had a B6000E when I was lad, uh, which was. Uh, of some vintage um but yeah it's it's a little short one uh, uh, about his his kubota um and it's 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 very cool um so do have a little bit of a look uh, and a read through that it's 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 like a a second lunchtime read but it's only like it's only two or three minutes uh to 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 fill in but it's it's easier to read it than it is for me to explain it i think that's me for this week. Andrew will be back next week. Um, uh, and then there's going to be a little bit of over Christmas and New Year. Um, we know what it's like. People aren't in the car commuting on their own as much. Uh, so we don't uh, uh, So we, we don't tend to put out new shows. Also, there's mostly, to be perfectly honest, mostly because there's never any flipping news. Uh, so we will be back at the start. Uh, so we'll be back with a normal... I think there might be a normal new show next week, uh, and then there'll be a little bit of a gap, uh, and then we will be back at the start of 2024. Uh, we've got some stuff to fill in the gap uh, as well, so it, it's not. there's not going to be nothing. There's just not going to be uh, usual news shows. In the meantime, folks, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Uh, to get in touch with Andrew, uh, you can search for Quack, Cracked Windscreen on Twitter or Mastodon. Uh, to get in touch with me, it's best to use either Twitter or Blue Sky. In both cases, I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll, be bo- we'll both be back relatively soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. He, who's been doing some stuff in the background, uh, has been Andrew Close. And safe motoring.